The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Financial News Edition. I'm Alex Daniel, crypto correspondent for Financial News. And today with me is David Mercer, Chief Executive of LMAX Group. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining. We're going to talk about crypto from an institutional standpoint today. Um, it seems like barely, barely a day passes in this sector when there isn't some catastrophic corporate collapse, multi-million pound hack or sort of controversial intervention from the world's top regulators. The collapse of FTX was back in November. That's light years ago in crypto time. But the reverberations continue to be felt and trust in crypto exchanges widely is very low. In the UK, we finally got to see the Treasury's consultation on how it plans to regulate the sector a few weeks back. No doubt many companies are quickly drawing up their responses at this very moment. And in the US, the Securities and Exchange Commission is forging ahead with enforcement actions against some of the biggest firms in the space, such as Kraken, Binance and Coinbase. Many people think the industry's survival depends on whether it can grow up, get regulated and act a bit more like traditional finance. Among other things, David Mercer and LMAX run a crypto exchange, LMAX Digital. It's been going since 2018 and it's one of the few truly institutional grade crypto exchanges around, particularly in the UK. David, thanks again for joining. How is the crypto winter treating you firstly? Hey Alex, good to be with you today. Look, you know, it's just the ebb and flow of um, a nascent asset class. So in many ways to be expected, you can't foresee any of those collapses either in the Bahamas or the algorithmic stablecoin earlier in the year. But if you look at it on a long, longer time horizon and go back to the start of the pandemic, um, this asset class is still on the up. And certainly our belief is that it's here to stay. The price action might be a bit skittish and scary um, for the foreseeable, you know, but our view hasn't changed from when we launched it in 2018. And certainly we were pleased with how LMAX Digital has navigated these waters. And we haven't seen, you know, any institutional customers of ours disappear. Of course, they're trading less and volumes are less, but, um, you know, onwards and upwards, we've always thought that this asset class and the launch of LMAX Digital was for long-term opportunity rather than short-term opportunism. Great. So institutions are, like you said, they are warming up digital assets slowly. Um, we've seen various investment banks, for example, launching into sort of tokenization projects. Um, some are doing crypto custody, but I think many are sort of arguing at the moment that what um, the really big institutions are really interested in at the moment is blockchain, the underlying technology, rather than trading cryptocurrencies themselves. Um, we've seen this with JP Morgan, uh, for example, and a couple of other chief executives have been quite outspoken on the issue. Um, so I guess my first question is, um, is crypto now a dirty word for traditional finance? Um, are they now turning to blockchain rather than crypto? 
No, I don't think so. But to be clear, what is crypto? How do we define it? So let's first of all define it and then decide which parts of that are dirty words. I mean, ultimately, look, the first real public blockchain out there um, this time around was the Bitcoin blockchain in 2008. But in fact, there was DigiCash going back to the 80s created by, um, you know, in Berkeley University. So I think there's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, and then there's everything else. To be fair to the banks, they see the future in that. And we've always known that blockchain technology, or if you like, the modern day ledger can enhance where a lot of their costs are. You know, payment, settlement, reconciliation. In fact, a lot of um, a lot of the issues we've had, or the sort of bank runs you've seen, or you know, back decades ago, come back to those three issues. So they see that blockchain technology can make that back office, those back office functions, more efficient. Just going back to the fact that something can be immutable on a blockchain and that if you and I trade together, then the record of there is, is there for everyone rather than 10 different departments in uh, maybe four different countries having to reconcile or chase this piece of paper or the security around the institution, never mind going around various other custodians. So I think it's always been the case, but you said there and, and part of your preamble that they're investing in the tokenization of assets. So again, that's using blockchain technology, but that again goes back to what we might call crypto assets. So right back to the issuer of a security. So someone issues corporate debt um, or someone lists a security. Do we list that um, as blockchain enabled? Does that make it become crypto? I'd argue it does, but underlying all of this, is blockchain technology. So the fact that we're going to use it throughout capital markets throughout the world um, is clear. And that's in fact why we, you know, why we set up LMX Digital. Now, who knows what that asset's going to be? What I would say at the moment, you can't just say, oh, let's just use blockchain, because if we're going to have this new ledger, you need a way to account for it. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is the asset that we transfer on those blockchains? Even some of the um, examples you gave there. They effectively create a private crypto asset, right? A private coin that they move around their private blockchain. It's clear for anything to work in capital markets, in traditional finance, you're going to need to use a public blockchain or certainly have wider distribution, right? We can't all be running to uncoding to one private blockchain, perhaps developed by one bank. And I think they know that as well. So, I don't think crypto is a, a dirty word. I think there's a, there's a slew of assets that won't be around. These are computer science um, experiments. I don't think anything other than Bitcoin and perhaps Ethereum is proven as yet. But certainly, I think it's here to stay. And I think the institutions are aware that they will be investing in and they will be moving crypto assets in the years to come and certainly decades from now. Okay, okay, um, that's a good answer. I, I think um, I just need to remind people that the audience can submit questions and we've got a Q&A chat function. So if you want to ask David Mercer a question about crypto or blockchain or anything around that area, then go for it. Um, 
I should move on to uh, the UK regulatory picture. I suppose it's sort of quite topical right now. Um, the Treasury recently launched a consultation on how it's going to regulate crypto, which a lot of people have been waiting for for quite a long time, I think. Firstly, I suppose, what does this consultation, just the existence of it and the fact that it is moving forward, mean for the sector? It's a good thing. So to be clear, it's the same as what's happening in the US to a certain extent. It's great that people are talking about it, right? So um, the worst, you know, anything worse than people um, talking about you is not talking about you. So it's good that they're recognizing this asset class. To be clear, it's still a small asset class. And but perhaps the adverse noise out there outweighs the size of the asset class. So they're, they're doing the right thing with the consultation. Um, I think I quite like the UK approach, which is to regulate the activities rather than the asset. That's very different from the US, which first of all seems to want to define the asset. I think if you go through the activities route, you'll see that there are broad swathes of regulation that could be used for any asset. I mean, and they mentioned that in the consultation, for example, you know, the overall framework, the anti-money laundering regime that exists, the market abuse regulation that exists, um, the disclosure documentation um, that is required. So, and also financial promotion rules, right? Going back to what regulators have to do and what the point of regulation is. The first, the first thing they must do is protect consumers. So you've got all you've got things like financial promotion, promotion rules, market abuse rules that you'd like to think any asset could slot into. And for me, that seems to be the main basis of their consultation. It's very British. It's as you'd expect, it's very well thought out. It's very sane and it seems to try and adopt existing principles frameworks and policies so i think they should be congratulated for that um a couple of things to consider one timing of it there's a lot of rhetoric around it might be the journalists picking up on it more than the than the policy makers saying you know we want to be a, a uk hub well i think a lot of countries want to become a hub in this space. Um, it might be a case of who, who get, the person who gets there or the group, the com country that gets there first will win out. So we need to do this quickly. The other thing is, and sort of the elephant in the room around the consultation is crypto and my core asset at LMAX Group Foreign Exchange is predominantly cross-border. It's all about cross-border trade. That elephant in the room is, how do we act with it with our, our closest counterparties in Europe? That's not clear for any asset class, let alone crypto. We've got to consider that. You know, crypto will be uh, more mobile than most assets you trade. It's certainly very different from a, um, a sort of one one nation equity, for example. It's more akin to trading euros or dollars or Japanese yen globally. So. How is that, how are those, the regulations going to en enable and facilitate cross-border trade? And how are they going to interact with, for example, regulation in the US and regulation with Mika? So there's a few things to be concerned about, but at the very, 
at the very highest level, I think we should welcome the consultation. And for what it's worth, I, I think it's on the right track. You picked up on an interesting point there that, that we've we've reported on a bit as well, that um, obviously different, different regulatory regimes for a very cross-border asset. I think a lot of people, there have been calls for sort of regulators to work together across jurisdictions to try and match up their regulatory regimes. Um, it looks like the SEC is taking a different approach to the UK, like you said. Is there any, um, how, how realistic is it um, to expect regulators to actually truly try and match up their regimes across sort of multiple different major jurisdictions and sort of financial um, financial centres? Completely unrealistic. I and mean, that's just not going to happen. So it's great. You know, I'd love to be out there um, theorizing and saying, yes, let's have global regulation for crypto. Okay, if you're willing to wait until the year 2050 to regulate products that are trading in 2023, yes, it's possible. It's not going to happen. But what does happen a lot is that regulatory bodies around the world accept other regulations and they make the bar slightly lower if you're regulated um, or you have equivalents in other jurisdictions. That was the case. And people forget this about Europe. Um, you know, before we were in the EU, for example, we had passports into, into Europe. So there was equivalence. There's a lot of chat at the moment about uh, UK regulated entities being having equivalence in Europe, but that hasn't been approved yet. Right. In fact, I've seen very little conversation about that in the last six to 12 months. And the same um, in the US. For example, if I want to launch a, a future that is fungible in the United States and in the UK, I have to re be recognized as a foreign border trade uh, by the CFTC. I think that's fine. And that's normally how regulators globally work together. It's, with, crypto is not gonna be the first asset where there's one great global regulator. And remember, Sometimes this is an edge. Sometimes different countries uh, promote or want to encourage investment in their own in their own country, and they want to encourage people people to uh, or companies to come into that country. Sometimes they're tax benefits. Sometimes it's grandfathering or passporting um, of of regulation. So we should always allow that competition, if you like, between countries. But I think. All the major regulators are thinking about it. They need to get a move on, right? They need to create the regimes so that we can do those three things they aim to do, you know, protect consumers, promote financial stability, and harness innovation. So my, my message would be the same to, to regulators globally. And then after that, they can work out how we work together. And um, we've got a question on this topic from an audience member, uh, Pierre Andrea. I hope I pronounced your name right. Um, she, uh, he or she asks, are the UK and USA regulators considering Bitcoin a commodity and all the other crypto as securities? And second part of the question, which you just partly addressed, what is the time frame for regulations? Will they be implemented in 2023? Um, just by just to quicken this along, the, the MICA regulations are um, to be approved this year and then come into force. Um, 
I think, next year, and companies will have a year to make sure they comply. What do you think about the time frame in the UK and the USA, though? Um, there doesn't seem to be any wholesale rule book on the horizon in the US, for example. I'd be, I'd be surprised if there was much movement in either jurisdiction in 2023. There was a couple of bills that went through um, in Congress towards the end of the year. One of them might make it in this Congress, so that's two-year two year time horizon. Um, the UK, I think they've just started the consultation paper, so best guess would be 2024. But let's not, let's not um, forget they did at least um, create a, a payment licensing framework last year. So that is still ongoing. So I think it's unlikely that you're going to have much movement, but certainly you'll see progress. And that's all you can expect. And it's still early on the first question about security versus towards. To be honest, I don't know. I mean, I think if you look at so I've spoken to various people in Washington and there's a couple there's a split group, you could say. Um, they seem to be leading the bills that had the most backing. Uh, Stave now, Boozman, for example, were pushing towards CFTC regulation. So that regulation says that everything is a commodity. Um, and there is an argument in Washington that, in fact, everything is a commodity, right? And depend on holding this desk, you know what I mean? Everything is a commodity. Um, Mr. Gensler obviously thinks a lot of these things are securities. And if you look at the Howey test, that said, I mean, the Howey test dates back to 1946. Right. That would suggest that most things that you and I know as crypto assets um, that might be yield bearing would basically pass the Howey test and therefore are a security. I don't know whether Bitcoin passes that or not, but certainly there's an investment of money. There's common enterprise. There's an expectation of profit derived from the work of others. That's basically the Howey test. So you can make a case for the, for everything being a security. But likewise, I know there's a group saying that everything is a commodity. Um, let's see. I think a lot of it over there is who do you want your regulator to be? Who should regulate this new asset class? Um, from, for what it's worth, I believe Bitcoin is a currency and I believe everything else is probably a commodity. But I don't write regulation. So whatever the regulation is, we'll, uh, the LMAX group and LMAX Digital will fit within it. Am I um, am I right in thinking that it's the uh, in America it's the pro crypto people that want everything to be a commodity and the anti crypto people that want as much as possible to be a security because that will be more stringent on regulation. That's that's not a bad rule of thumb, but maybe it's because it might just be be the relative size of the two institutions, right, and who they think's moved first. Believe it or not, I think U.S. regulation doesn't necessarily move quickly, but it works. So you have the Banking Act, Glass-Steagall, 1933, the Securities Act, 1933, the Securities Exchange Act, 1934. When they write regulation, it works for 90 years. Now, you could argue they need to be updated, and they are from time to time. The Howey test is 1946. But going back to those first acts, you know, the regulation has more or less worked for 90 years. It would appear that the CFTC is more open to it and the SEC. I don't even think, but I don't think the SEC is anti-crypto evangelists might think the SEC is anti-crypto. I look at them saying, look, 
this is a security. In fact, there are some peers of ours who are arguing and want to take on the SEC, which I believe would be a bad move, incidentally, when, look, from a, from a regulator standpoint, it's pretty clear. If you have something that says earn it, lend it, all right, it has an interest rate, it's probably going to be a security. So you better register your security. I don't understand. It's, it's pretty black and white. There's only one carve out in that Securities Act that says, unless it's a bank account. And by the way, if it's a bank account that's covered by the Banking Act, go and get regulated by the Fed. So for me, it's pretty clear. I don't see it as anti-crypto. I say it as, okay, we see these securities now follow securities rules. It sounds like you sort of disagree with some of the outcry that has come from the sort of the crypto native part of the digital assets industry in response to the regulatory action from Gary Gensler. Um, does, does it, do, are you concerned when you see Gensler cracking down on things like staking and stuff like that? Or is it a forward move which is moving towards a more regulated landscape? Which side do you fall on? I can see both sides of it. Right, and, and you want you want a, you want an answer. You'd like me to be on one side or the other. I think it's foolhardy for the industry to take on those regulators. I saw one comment yesterday that you know we'll take them to court. I, I've I've never seen that working. Um, on the flip side, and by the way, enforcement is a key part of regulation. Right, it's a very key part. It prevents bad actors getting in. That said, I would like. The enforcement seems to have been before negotiation, before conversation. You'd like some collaboration between the industry and the policymakers. I'm not aware that enough of that has happened, right? And it seems to be a line in the sand, don't do this. And it's also after the fact, we're gonna let you do this and then we're gonna penalize you for it. So I'm not a fan of that direct, you know, direct first, first engagement is enforcement. Let's have a conversation about it and see how we can fit within it. That's what happens in traditional finance. You know, perhaps I'm old enough that, you know, when derivatives first started happening um, in the 90s, the regulators worked with the industry to create regulation and reporting and disclosure that would work for both sides. And I think you now think of derivatives, some of the biggest exchanges in the, in the world trade only derivatives. Um, and that was almost, I wouldn't say it's seamless, but it fits, it fitted nicely into the framework. Everyone can accommodate it. Industry, the consumers were protected, stability was created, the industry could develop, and the regulators had all the information. I'd like it to be more collaborative. Um, so as I say, I can see both sides of it from the industry. I think you must try and engage, right? Engage with the right people perhaps even inform the regulator in advance. From a regulator standpoint, look, it's not all bad. These aren't all bad actors, right? So let's have a look at what the product was trying to create. There's one, you know, for example, there is a stable coin, which I think is pretty good at the moment. Um, I try not to give people shout outs, but I think, you know, USDC uh, led by Circle is a reasonable stable coin of at least passed a, a, uh, a top auditing firm audit. It is backed. But you know what? At the moment, I don't see the reason. It's, it's difficult to hold USDC because I earn interest in dollars. They can't pay interest in USDC today because guess what? That becomes a security. So they have to go and register it. You know, currency itself is not a financial instrument. So I can earn interest in euros, in dollars. I'd have to register that as a, as a security. 
um, but yet you'd have to you'd make them go and register it. So I, I think there should be give and take. And what, what I'd encourage everyone to do, both sides, is to engage. For my part, I try and engage as much as I can globally with the regulators and hopefully navigate that and get to a better to get, get to a better result. Um, we've had two questions from the signups in the audience, which are um, relatively similar. So I'm kind of going to merge the two. But Paul and Michael have both talked about the crackdowns from US regulators and the impact that will have on other um, jurisdictions. Do you think that the sort of the harsh tone of the SEC and sort of slightly harsher approach in America um, gives the UK and the EU sort of a fighting chance of being the crypto hubs that they want to be? Um, how does it play back on home soil? So, yes, I think the US needs to be careful. Frankly, right? Look, for, in capital markets, it's pretty simple. The US, the biggest economy in the world, right? And the leader in global capital markets. It's very simple in what I do. You follow the money, right? Follow the thread. And that's where the most assets under management are. That's where the most capital is. So you have the best frameworks, some of the biggest exchanges in the world, the biggest banks in the world, and the best regulators in the world. So we all assume the US, the US is so important to every asset class. If they're too stringent, if they don't engage, then it is possible that their own institutions will move offshore. Frankly, that's what's happening today. You know, the biggest proprietary trading firms in the world are based in the United States of America. They trade crypto from offshore jurisdictions, offshore entities, because they have to, because the framework's not clear. Now, that is the same worldwide. It's the same in the UK. It's the same in Europe, right? Until you have clarity, you're not going to have those market leaders establishing your jurisdiction. So we should all be careful. The US should be careful because it's not a given. You know, we all look at the last 10, 20 years. I mean, remember, the US dollar's only been around 50 years, right? It's not a given that the United States of America or the United Kingdom, for that matter, will be capital markets hubs or crypto hubs 50 years from now if we can't adopt and adapt to new financial instruments. Okay, okay. Um, uh, we have a couple more questions from the audience come in. I'm just gonna leave them for a minute, but thank you very much everyone for sending them in. Um, please do keep them coming. I will return to them in a minute. Um, I wanna talk about um, just the very broad picture for sort of Bitcoin and crypto sort of prices and what it means for the kind of the ecosystem. Do you think that we will recover from this crypto winter this year? Um, are we on a longer time horizon? And how does that play with the institutional side? So look, timing is hard to call. And thankfully, no one's ever paid me for uh, to make uh, predictions, either economic or asset predictions. But look, I think you've seen some recovery at the start of the year. But then again, traditional assets have recovered um, the start of this year as well. So Bitcoin itself is very much correlated to the, the rest of the market and to the, to the S&P. So whilst the rest of the market is reacting, you've got to look at last year, right? So there was the triple threat, threat of rates, Russia and recession. You add that from a crypto standpoint to the crises, to the bad actors, 
to the uh, liquidations um, that you saw. So it was obviously a challenging year for crypto. There's been a bounce this year. Everyone's coming to terms with um, inflation. Doesn't mean we're enjoying it. Everyone's coming to terms with the fact we are either in or we're pre-recession. So all of that's priced in. So you've seen this bounce. You could, this might be a dead cap bounce, right? So if suddenly the UK and the US goes fully into recession, then I'd expect crypto assets to sell off along with um, traditional assets. Longer term, you will fill the gap in the Bitcoin price. There's no doubt in my mind, purely supply and demand, purely because it's the most tested blockchain. So we will fill the gap. You will see new highs in, in Bitcoin within the next few years. I can't say within the next few months, but I'd expect, look, there's not a lot of new buyers out that right, right now. So anyone predicting that this asset price doubles, I think um, would be slightly deluded because the investment community hasn't got confidence yet. There's not a lot of new money coming into any new asset never mind coming into Bitcoin. So I think it's going to be drawn out. We talk about a U-shaped recovery there rather than V-shaped. But for certain, for all the reasons you and I discussed at the start, Alex, the institutions are investing more than ever in blockchain technology. They need digitized assets. They need crypto assets to move around those blockchain ledgers. So I think you know the market for digital assets or crypto assets will be significantly north of here, perhaps towards the value of the gold market within the next five years. So gold will trade at 10 to $12 trillion. Crypto today is less than $1 trillion. Um, I want to uh, take you back to a point you made earlier that the fact that people are talking about crypto is a good thing. Is it the case that all publicity is good publicity? Is FTX ultimately a good thing and i'm kind of asking again from the standpoint of the institutions that you talk to all the time um understood one point to make on that look what happened in the bahamas was a bad thing for the industry and it was a very bad thing for the clients and the traders on that platform longer term for crypto it's probably beneficial Right. So, yeah, my heart goes out to those folks who thought they were trading on a, on a safe exchange and, and have lost their funds. But suddenly everyone starts to talk about it. What happened? What was the room for error? What was the room for mismanagement? What was the separation, separation of powers, segregation of duties? Now, if you look at it, if you look at traditional finance, it's pretty simple. Right. Exchanges do one thing intermediaries do another banks do a range of things but they're regulated separately you know everything from from lending to storing so everything is pretty second but what happened in the bahamas was that everything was bundled into one now the crux of all regulation is separation of powers and segregation of duties right so just by the very point of splitting an exchange from an intermediary and in the UK following, you know, having a CAS audit, client asset source book audit, and separating client funds is, is core to everything that we do and every, the way we operate in Europe and the UK. So 
in that respect for the, the long-term framework, it's going to be, there will be benefits from that crisis. And hopefully, if we all get it right, then it can't happen again and we can protect consumers better. For our part, and what my message to the whole crypto industry is, look, don't wait for the framework. If the framework isn't there, you must act as if regulated now and you must follow best practice. You know, that's what we did. You know, we implemented the fourth money laundering directive back in 2018 before it was law, as an example, right? We split the broker operation from, from the exchange operation. Why? Because MIFID 2 says we have to do that for our core traditional assets. So I think that's that. I think of everything that came last year, year, yes, there's a laser focus. I hope it's not all done by enforcement. I hope some of it's done through conversation and collaboration. But my view is that crypto will be in a better place in 2025 than it was in 2022, partly because of some of the episodes that we uh, that we saw happen. Okay, I want to ask two more questions and we're going to have to be quick about it because we are on 32 minutes past the hour. Um, we have another interesting one actually from Pear Andrea, again from the audience, star of the show. Um, it's on stable coins and CBDCs. How will the digital pound, US dollar and euro currently in experimental stage impact crypto finance? Also, I want to ask you, David, how will it impact you at LMAX? Okay, so well, it depends what they are. So my answer to both those questions, it depends what they are. But let's let's look at it. Um, I'd welcome it. I'm a simple exchange guy. I match buyers and sellers. If I have more products to match, great. If I could match a digital dollar with a digital pound and I can offer that as a product and my customers, my institutional customers want to trade it, fantastic for me. And in many ways, within my core business, the foreign exchange business where we trade you know, $25 billion a day, if suddenly it became easier, less fr uh, more frictionless, so less friction in the market so that we could settle T0 rather than T plus one or T plus two, I think that would be a good thing. From what I can gather, everyone's really looking at CDBCs right now in terms of um, payments and mostly paying um, the general public rather than institutional um, product. How would they how would they work together? Like I think it's on I think there's real privacy issues in the US that make me doubt whether that will happen. But let me give you a positive, let me give you a positive point about that. And there's another elephant here, right? Digital or fiat? Are you going to allow individuals and institutions to move that between different institutions? and even institutions that trade crypto. So can I move a digital pound, a digital euro, a digital dollar to a crypto hedge fund, right? Will my bank have an account for that? Because at the moment, and you know this, and you've written about it, very few mainstream banks touch crypto today. Is central bank digital currency crypto? Well, actually it isn't, right? <laughs> it just isn't crypto. It uses blockchain technology, but it isn't crypto because it's not anonymous, it's not decentralized, and it's not trustless. But um, will banks allow that to be moved within crypto enterprises? Because that could open the floodgates. This could be a great thing for the crypto asset class. At the moment, Alex, it's really, really difficult to get fiat 
into the crypto ecosystem. And that's why these stable coins all exist. So if we have a central bank digital currency, that could be helpful, provided you're allowed to use it for that purpose. Okay. Well, I think that pretty much covers it. Thank you very much, David. That's really interesting, especially on CBDCs. Um, and uh, yes, the just for clarity, the UK, um, the Treasury launched a consultation separately on whether to have a British digital pound um, a few weeks back. That's separate to the crypto consultation. So go and check it out. Um, that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for being here, David. Um, really appreciate it. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Um, we hope to we hope you can listen to our next episode tomorrow as well. Um, that is Investors Business Daily Executive Editor of Multimedia, Alyssa Corum, and Senior Markets Writer Ken Shreve discussing how ETFs can supercharge portfolio performance. Thank you again for listening today. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.